Marketing is saying what you do. You're broadcasting, you're distributing a message. But branding is doing what you say. And so the problem is that most brands out there are saying things they cannot substantiate. Welcome to the Sales Masters Podcast. Here, we're going to be interviewing titans of industry, bringing you the hacks, the tips, and tricks from the whole of the world on how you can get more effective in your business. We're going to bring some of the biggest names from across the world to drop their bombs, drop their information, to give you the info you need to thrive in business. We're going to talk about the struggles, we're going to talk about the successes, and everything in between. Hi guys, and welcome to today's episode of the Sales Masters Podcast. Today we are greeted by the fabulous King of Australia, Ram Castillo. Now, Ram is someone who I've known for about eight months now through Clubhouse, and we've become pretty good friends. And this guy is a real game changer in the way he goes. Not only does he talk with a very high level eloquency, which I do not, um, but he's also really knowledgeable in business. He has a very different tack around what I do and the way I do things compared to the way he's done things. Not only has he got the magical blue ticks on things like Instagram, he gets paid hefty amounts of money to share his knowledge on stages um, and build up really successful businesses as well. Uh, so delighted to introduce... My good man, Ram. How are you, buddy? Hey, David Angel. I'm really good, my friend. Thank you so much. <laughs> Mate, I'm glad to have you on and thanks for finding the time. Uh, you're over in Oz. How's things going with you over there in business? We were talking offline. Things are going well at the moment, right? Very well, yeah. We're recording this uh, tail end of November uh, 2021 in Sydney. Uh, doors have opened and we are heading into summer. So things are good. Things are really, really good. So I'm excited to share uh, anything that I can uh, to your audience, sales, marketing, branding, and everything in between. Well, this is the whole thing with it. And the Sales Masters podcast, typically sales professionals, entrepreneurs, business owners, we know sales is a hub within a business. And I think a lot of time people like to have it as an afterthought. And I really want to bring back to the spotlight and share that inside hack of what it is. And I think a lot of people have this perspective of sales and of selling. And one thing I love about you, your tone, the way you approach conversations, I spot a lot of the tips, tricks, hacks that people love in sales that are really effective. And you are clearly um, outstanding in business, but you have a very friendly and soft tone, which a lot of time people don't associate in sales, right? They have this rough, gruff voice more like what I have. <laughs> so tell us a bit about you. Anyone who doesn't know who you are, um, they should definitely check you out. But give us a bit of a background on you, where you've come from, what you do, uh, and what they might get out of today. Perfect. So uh, before I get into very, very quick uh, background into a bit of my journey, um, just to come out of the gate swinging here with some shared vocabulary, uh, I am from the human-centered design background. And what that basically means is putting the person first in whatever we design, whether that's a product, a service, an experience, a business. Uh, I am formally trained in design. So I have a design method of reverse engineering a desired outcome uh, in the context of a commercialized world. And so that might include creative strategy. That might include marketing 
Uh, and then of course, sales is in the mix there. So I wanted to sort of just pick three keywords, branding, what is that? What is marketing and what is sales in my experience of it? Having started at Ogilvy back in 2005 and then working my three large agency world. Uh, formerly, I was head of digital design at Saatchi and Saatchi and serviced Amex, Qantas, Toyota. And, and the importance of understanding these terms means that we're able to use each of these depending on our business life cycle or wherever we're at. So I often just look at, um, at branding as what people attach meaning to in a simple, simple understanding of that. Well, what do people attach meaning to? Personality. Okay. If I get to know you, I start to like you. Okay. So there's personality there. There's credibility. Or if I view you as credible, I start believing in whatever you're saying or not believing in whatever you're saying if you're not credible. And then there's the reputation, which is, huh, okay, I can start to depend on you because there are uh, there, there is evidence from others who have uh, been able to receive what you're saying. So underneath the branding, it's simply the meaning. Now, the the importance of it then becomes what is the position, the space that you occupy in the hearts and minds of your customers relative to your competitors? So now we start going into the importance of brand positioning as out of all the ways that I can be serviced, why would I choose you? And this is the whole point. Marketing is saying what you do. You're broadcasting, you're distributing a message, but branding is doing what you say. And so the problem is that most brands out there are saying things they cannot substantiate. Yes. And so the key strategy that I always say to, to clients and to brands who are looking to, to build massive impact, to, to, to penetrate a market or to grow their existing market is make sure you're very succinct as to what it is that you can actually deliver upon and all your marketing, all your products, all your services reaffirm and prove that that can be done. The other way to look at it is, and I'll, and I'll just share this bit, that um, marketing is not just saying what you do and branding is doing what you say, but it's also marketing is also how they find you, but branding is why they buy you. And this yes. is a very important point because when I buy you, what does that make me? Mm. So now we connect the dots about what's the point of putting values on a page and your single-minded proposition, and your mission statement, your vision statement. Now, there's now I want people listening to realize that there's a reason for that. Because if you have a mission that people can, can opt in and out of, now you have a point of difference beyond the stuff that you're making. So for, for lack of a better example, I'm pro Nike because just do it resonates with me. Nike versus Adidas, Adidas is impossible is nothing. Aspirational, Nike, very practical. Mm. But here's the crux of it. I run the night. That's one of their campaigns. Um, I literally 
am on the Nike Run Club app. I, I buy their products. I'm part of this tribe. I resonate with that because I'm a very practical person. I don't really like talking about the aspirational side too much. I want the facts and I want the results. So if that resonates with you, Nike would likely be more for you. But going even further, Nike was never about the shoes. Mm. They were always about what can we become if we just did it. When they launched that campaign, that's been running for many decades now, they were getting handwritten notes, Dave, letters from people who have left toxic relationships, who have left crappy jobs that they hated, that had started businesses that they finally dreamed of. Insert dream here. And so now when we talk about brand, I want people to understand that there's a place for marketing, which is the saying you're distributing all of those good things. You're being discovered through what you're saying, but the brand you need to follow through. And it's the reason they buy you. And so the question is where does sales come in? Mm. Marketing, in my opinion, generates the leads. Sales turns those leads into customers. So I'll park it there. I love it. And I do not, when you, the way you, the way you, go through things in such a systematized way. For me, branding has never been a strong point. We spoke about when we were talking about the Sales Master podcast and what to name and all the other type of stuff, brand colors and all the other stuff. Yes, it got with that. But I never really sit and think about why I buy the products I buy. Like things with Nike, I'm very much about Nike. I will automatically just pick up Nikes. And in my head, I don't ever take the time to go, why do I? And I'm guessing that's why you are, why you do what you do because you're so immersed. For me in the sales side, I hear people talk and I'm like, ah, I see what you're doing here, right? And you see this from the other side. So if we're looking at what a lot of people do now and they hear you talk about all this stuff, and if I'm honest with it, when I hear you talk, you're so eloquent and professional with it, but a lot of people, do you think that they get daunted or do you think people just don't pay enough attention to realize the power that branding's got? Because everyone likes to jump into sales, but I think there's a lot of this work at the start, which people just don't do. Like they're trying to jump over a wall by standing next to it. Well, I feel with branding, that gives you the pace and the run-up to make it easier to get over the top, right? Yeah, it's a very good question. I think um, it can seem as if there is this very... um, diagnosed sort of like laser focused way of breaking this up. Mm. And, but, but what I would want people to think about more than the, the prescriptive step-by-step way of accessing a great brand is looking at a framework and I'll give one right now, such as what your competitive advantage is, right? So a framework that I use to get your competitive advantage, I'll back back pedal here. A comedian doesn't say, hey, listen to my jokes, I'm funny. Right. The comedian says 10 funny jokes in a row and we get the impression that they're funny. Yes. Okay. So exactly what you said with the, I don't think about Ram, I don't think about Nike, <laughs> um, you know, with all the the, the things in that way, I just buy them. I don't even know maybe even the deep reasons, but 
Um, and that's good. That's yes. good because because I don't. It's done its job, right? Go, that's done its Correct. job. It's got me to know without realizing I know. Going back to the comedian, mm. we shouldn't ever say that we're good at sales. Yes. Other people okay. should tell me. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And we need to get that impression. So how do we get that impression? Part of that is the personality. So we need to ramp that up. Part of that is the credibility. So we need to ramp that up. And part of that is the reputation. We need to ramp that up. But but in order for even any of this to start is we need to we need to know what market we're even entering into. And part of it is that the, the issue is, and I deal with this every single day with brands that are too broad. So my recommendation straight off the bat, if you want a better brand than you're currently that you're currently in. Now, granted, you're you're probably in the hearts and minds of some, sure, but you don't want to just be average in your space. The space that you occupy has to be different in order to compete. And in order to compete, you need what? A competitive advantage. And so here's a framework. Draw two circles on a page. On the left, you have the word appealing, question mark. So what is appealing? On the right, which overlaps, is exclusive. And this is what it's about, right? It's not about a fluffy sort of idea. We want to arrive at a really tangible business generating strategic tool. This is a tool. Okay. Now here's the thing. If you don't have anything appealing and exclusive, guess what? You don't have a competitive advantage. And the reality is that too many of you listening, this is the bittersweet, but I mean, well, you're too broad. Mm. You're too freaking broad. And guess what stops people most of the time? Oh, Ram, I don't want to alienate my customers or people. Guess what? You have to. I'll tell you why. Because you can't service everyone anyway. Mm. And in order to have a great brand, here is the point. You must accept that you will be very popular, very, very popular to a few, equally and likely very unpopular to the other end and very neutral to the majority. Mm. Now, out of all the bloody chocolate beans, chocolate, sorry, in the world from one bean, how can there be so many damn chocolate brands? How? It's because of this very point. You need to craft a point of difference. Yeah. In order to compete, Snickers really satisfies chunky, nutty, mm. filling. You're not you when you're you're not you when you're hungry. when you're hungry. Yes. Kit Kat, have a break, have a Kit Kat, M&Ms, milk chocolate that melts in your mouth, not on your hand. Ferrero Rocher. It's luxurious. It's got gold foiling for crying out loud. But all of these statements, proposition lines that I've just said, these taglines, they're not, not one of them can say the same for each other. Yes. Same with, same with cars. Tesla is pro-innovation. Out of all the cars that move people physically, why would you choose Tesla? They all have four wheels. They all have an engine. They all have a transportation that can get you from A to B faster than being on your feet. We get that. 
So then why would you choose Tesla? It's because of when I buy Tesla, what does that make me? It makes me pro-innovation. Aha, badge on my chest. Makes me showing, makes me show others in the world that I'm pro-tech, pro-innovation, that I value sustainable energy. That's that's a bit more, you know, uh, sustainable than petrol. I buy Apple over Samsung or Android. Why? Because I want people to know that I also value the same things that these companies value. So I Mm. want you to think about that. Stand for something and don't back down with what you stand for, what you stand against. And I hope now people can start to think about when they think about brand, that these are the things that they really need to solidify. Otherwise, they become average and they don't have an opinion, that's a dangerous place. Have an opinion. Do you think then, so say we're looking at sales, a lot of people are on this, they're going to be salespeople, sales managers, or they've gone and got their own business, but they started off by working in another company. And this is one of the big things, right? You start off working in a big company. You were doing sales. They'd already done the brand, right? They'd already got the message. They already built the audience. You weren't there at day one when you had to create it. So you just come in, they told you everything, and you went, oh, okay, now I understand this. So when people are at this stage now, so say people are sat there now, they're like, okay, this makes sense. I need to get more out there. What's their first couple of steps that we go, okay, this is what's going to get you your mindset right or your message right? What's some quick things that people can be taking up? They should obviously go more detailed, but the quick victories that people should sort of move towards. So the quick victory is, let's just go to building your personal brand. Because even if you work with company ABC in your career or start your own businesses, the one thing that will always build equity is you, your name, if nothing else. And here's the thing. You already have a brand. It exists. The question is, are you leveraging it and are you shaping it? Okay. So when I think of, you know, Sally Stevens or, or Josh Campbell, insert whatever name here, what comes to mind? Now, likely you either are in friends and family mode which means you're kind of pre-launched. You don't really have a brand. Yeah. Now, places you've worked, okay, you've launched a bit of a brand. You've got another small circle there that's added on. When it's established, you've got a specific industry locally that are starting to know about you. Are you in a growth phase of your brand, which is multiple industries know you locally? Or are you have you matured? And you've gone to an industry global reach of of being known. All right. So identify where you are. Step one, are you in this sort of pre-launch? Have you launched? Have you established growth or maturity? It's kind of like business life cycles. It's the same thing. So now I'm looking at my brand and like, okay, let's just go with only friends and family know me and places I've worked. Okay. That's most people. So you've launched a personal brand. The next thing that I would really advise is make sure that you have this line completed. I help who achieve what, how. And you might be thinking, oh, but you know, I, I'm working for a company. Doesn't matter. 
who do you help? How do you help them? And uh, why do you help them? And how do you help them? So uh, as an example, right, I get a lot of people that um, have not defined this enough. So for example, um, and you might have a side hustle and this is perfect, or you might have something else in the future that you're thinking about. And this is perfect for that. There was a, I'll give you some examples, uh, a, a rock climber, sorry, a, a, a yoga teacher. He was struggling to, to make sales. And he was like, I don't know why I'm not getting any sales. And I'm like, well, who's your target market? And he goes, oh, well, I teach yoga. So anyone that wants to learn yoga. And I'm like, well, have you got a niche? He goes, no, I don't want to exclude anyone. Yeah. And I'm like, let's start here. Why on earth did you even teach? Sorry, not even teach. Well, why did you take up yoga? He goes, oh, I'm a rock climber. I'm like, you're a rock climber. I go, what did yoga do for your rock climbing? He goes, it increased my flexibility like nothing else. I'm like, oh, there you go. Okay. So his proposition is now I help male <laughs> rock climbers increase flexibility through yoga. I'll give you one other example. There's a female sleep coach. I'm like, okay, well, what the hell is sleep? Sleep, which part of sleep and what, like, sleep is a very big topic. And I'm like, and you're a sleep coach? Yeah, yeah, same thing. I help everyone, you know, with better sleep. I'm like, better, better is not a word to, to measure anything because it's it's up to interpretation as to what better is based on the individual. Mm. So we arrived at, I help female corporate leaders achieve uninterrupted sleep ah through coaching so what i'm saying is that you need to have a proposition line that's just one way but start there because now you're able to do this now here is here is the most practical thing that i want listeners to to walk away with this very thing the brands that win are not necessarily even the best. Sad but true. The brands that win are the ones that are the most known and perceived as the least risky option. Mm-hmm. And this all ties back to sales. Very right? true. I see Dave smiling here on the video. So look, the question is, how do we become the most known and perceived as the least risky? Mm-hmm. Million dollar question. Now, this is my, my, my learnings of 16 years down to this one thing. It starts with repetition. Here's what I mean. Repetition of your proposition. Okay. So we just spoke about one of those articulations. Repetition of that value that you're distributing into the world equals consistency. That consistency <coughs> is now how we identify you. You start forming an identity. Your personality starts brewing. We experience that. That's established. That consistency, follow me on this, listeners, leads to familiarity. That familiarity gets me to start liking you or not, and then I opt out, and then I follow someone else. But if I start liking you, I start getting attracted to you. Aha, So we've gone from repetition to consistency to familiarity and familiarity breeds safety. And when I feel safe, I start believing you. You start getting credibility in my eyes. And when I start feeling safe, it leads to one thing. I start trusting you. 
now we have a relationship and now I get influenced by wherever you're leading me. That is how we build great brands. I love it. Um, do you know the thing I've got with this as well? When we talk, when, I love it. I, listening to you is just great. Um, and anyone who's watching this, as you can see, you, you get the passion with this as well. The thing I'd love to know is that we all talk about in sales, people worry about getting rejection, right? They don't like to get rejection. They're trying to get everyone to like from, which is just never going to happen. And I don't know how many times we're going to have the conversation where people want to make sure everyone likes them. Now, I'm quite happy for people to like me, to not like me. I'm, I'm trying to find my tribe. But I also think I've always been focused with that in a sales presentation type of way, rather than really pre-thinking the branding side. And I seem to be, I don't know if I'm just more conscious of it recently, but I seem to be seeing more and more people going down that route where they're talking really precisely. Now, I don't know if this is just because everyone's hiring you and getting great coaching off the back of this, but do you think there's a shift that's coming around now where people are being more proactive to actually get this message or do you still think it's very much under the radar? Give me, give me one example of that, Dave. So if you think of it now, I, I literally will see people now get very clear about, obviously, female coaches. I help women, female professionals in their 40s overcome X, right? I'm seeing a lot more of this now. And I hear people getting a lot more pinpoint accurate behind that. And do you think that's just a shift in the uh, world in general where people are more aware of this? Or... Do you think that's just my brain because of my RAS? My brain's picking that up now because I'm mindful of it, so I'm noticing it more. Well, I, I mean, I think it's both, but more importantly, I think that it is now the baseline to even enter the game. I mean, plain and simple. If we're not able to articulate ourselves so quickly that the that the person that we are wanting to attract can't distinguish if you're for them that's a problem mm. because the bar of convenience is so low that's why there's so few great people actually but that's another conversation <laughs> In, inconvenience is so easy to attain and so Best practice design principle is make it easy. That's one of the principles. Right. Make it easy. So there needs to be minimal friction. People don't like working for stuff. And now we enter into what is it? Something ridiculous like every day you've got, you've got a minimum 3,000 messages coming at you. We now need to think about this whole, you know, blue ocean strategy, which is doing things that are completely different. So I look at Blue Ocean as, which ties back to like the importance of articulating yourself succinctly, is what is currently happening in your industry that needs to be eliminated or decreased and added or increased. Mm. So I'll give you one example. Cirque du Soleil, I'll give you two examples, quick ones. Cirque du Soleil, they had a really great uh, blue ocean uh, move given that the circus world were old school. They used animals to entertain. What did they do? Eliminated animals altogether. And they used 
human um, uh, exceptional feats of the human body and performance, mm. and they mix that with theater. Blue Ocean. Another one was in the gaming world, the Nintendo Wii. They introduced a totally different device, not your traditional console sitting on the couch like, you know, we had Sega Mega Drive back in the day, PlayStation, you know, Xbox. Nintendo Wii did the opposite. They created a whole new market effectively. They got people on their feet and they were not privy to playing in the same ocean as the rest, which were for, you know, younger generation. In fact, the Wii was fun for adults. Yes. There you go. And so, so this all comes down to that. So I hope that sort of sheds. Yeah, yeah, no, it does. um, I find it fascinating because I'm very, so with the sales that we deal with, I can have people now that will be listening, but are solopreneurs that might jump on my platform, but also then I've got sales teams that have 20 sales guys. And then they use those, the same platform, but a different version where, they all can work together as a team to get their training. So this is the big thing I have with this. And more the fact that I'm doing this selfishly because you're on the podcast. If we've got now people where I've got four different groups of people, which actually I help, but actually I work with, that I actually do everything through. How do you best eliminate those people out of that? How do you best go off and do that? Tell me more. So say if I've got now, say I, I could deal with entrepreneurs. I could deal with startup entrepreneurs because of the sales training and stuff that we do. I could also deal with sales teams, for example. There's two different messages, two different audiences. Do you recommend that people would just stick to that one audience now, even if they're getting success in multiple audiences, to double down, mm. if you will, on that? Or... Is it worth having different brand messages? You've got different intentions behind it as well. So here's the thing. Great question. Okay. Thank you for elaborating. Um, when we talk about branding, it's not actually just attached to the entity and the entity can be the company slash organization or you personal brand. But what you've just identified there, Dave is product branding. And we can release multiple products. Yes. So, so how I would unpack this whole territory or this topic thread is looking at your customer as one that has many different pains mm. against their own journey. And so what we want is we need to extend that lifetime value, that lifetime journey. Right. I'll just use my me as an example for the brand that I've built. When I started giantthinkers.com, that was purely to help design students mm-hmm. and graduates get a job. Ah, that was okay. my audience. Mm-hmm. That was my audience. And guess what? Eventually, the blog posts and the book that I wrote, which is called How to Get a Job as a Designer, that evolved. I didn't stop there. I had to expand the other ways I could service them because when I solve the problem, just like you listeners who are listening, you're serving them. And then what? 
Yes. What's the next problem that they're going to encounter? And so my audience then ended up expanding into creatives in general. Yeah. Unsure how to navigate their entire careers. And so there were a whole other set of problems in that. And then so then I was introducing a new product around mentorship. So my second book was called How to Get a Mentor. And so what has happened after that is these designers evolved into creatives and these creatives evolved into creative entrepreneurs who started businesses and became leaders. And so don't box yourself in, certainly Mm. not, but look at this more as a human being who is going to encounter many problems Start with the short A to B journey. And if you're at a stage where you can expand in different products, as you said, different segments, Mm. now start to really weigh up which is the true validated, as validated as possible, problem that they're going to graduate to next. Because I didn't say, oh, I think they need mentors. Yes, I actually wrote to my mailing list and said, hey, what do you think that you need? right now, most that you feel that I can give you. And they told me what they wanted. They wanted mentorship or wanting to know how to get a mentor. Mm. Fascinating. Give us a bit of a rundown because we've jumped straight in on all your professionalism. And I mean, anyone who's listening to this, watching this back, um, is clearly going to be thinking this guy clearly knows his stuff. But is this something which has always been a natural skill set for you? Is this something where it's become something you've had to really slog through to get to the stage you're around? Because a lot, some people just seem to think, so people hear me talk about sales and they'll think, oh, he's just one of those people that can naturally sell. Where I know, everyone who knows, it wasn't a natural process. Was it for you? And tell us a bit about that. <laughs> Absolutely not. I can't even believe that I can brew up these words. Really, truly, quick background. My dad is one of 11. He and my mom are originally from the Philippines. My dad, his father passed away when he was three. And I just said to you, he's, yes, one of 11. So he grew up with a father that was never really around. Growing up for them, they, it was just not a sob story. It is what it is. They had a tablespoon of peanut butter and piece of bread to share a lot of the time. The way out was education. A hundred million people in the Philippines. Australia, where I'm from, 25 million people. Now, just to put that in perspective, Philippines, total landmass has three times less space than Australia, but four times as many people. My dad graduated marine transportation, mechanical engineering, two degrees. We get to Australia and those two degrees are not recognized. Really? He has three kids. I'm in the middle. I'm only a one-year-old baby when we get here. He works at a factory on like less than 20K to support three kids, even after he slogged it out, right, in, in his education. That's just one story. My mom, one of five, her mom basically raised all five kids because uh, my mom's dad, my grandfather, he was in the military. He was a bit of a womanizer. He was an abuser. He was alcoholic, the whole thing. Again, this was just the life that they had. 
my grandma had a sewing machine and a little corner store. She was the real entrepreneur and she made do with what she had. And so when I look back on the life I could have had, the story that I shared to you is not just for me, it's for everyone. We could have all had any life. We just happen to be where we are. Now, the question is, are we making use of where we're at? Let's continue. I had my arm broken three times and had 16 stitches before the age of 11. That does something to you. <laughs> I bet I, it does. Uh, I can't even process <laughs> that. My daughter's literally turns 11 next month. And I can't even imagine going through that as a parent or as a child. That's got to be tough. It is. But the question is, how does one respond mm. to that? Because... I'm not the first person that's ever had a traumatic experience as a child, but there's always two versions of a person that we can always become. And so thankful for great parenting, thankful for the unconditional love and the people that I've had from when I was a child, all the way through to now coaches, mentors, people that have shown me that despite the pain and the hurt that there is a way mm. I was the shortest kid in school. Uh, I was the second shortest in high school. I was never the most athletic, always the, the, in the friend zone, always in the C or D grade of everything, never the most athletic, never the most intelligent. However, I did have a, a natural sort of drawing to, to art, and I was, I was drawn to that. I remember my mom cooking spaghetti in our little apartment. I was four years old, and she said, Ram, what do you want to be when you grow up? She's cooking spaghetti. I could still smell the moment. And I would collect empty tissue boxes and toilet paper rolls. We didn't have iPads back then. So I would make stuff and I was busy making a whole robot and cities. And I just said to my mom, I don't know. And she goes, put her hand on my shoulder. She said, you know, what do you want to be? And I go, I don't know, mom. I just want to make stuff. And she goes, well, whatever you want to be, make sure you dream big. Make sure you dream much, much bigger. And so that alone at a young age, that was allowing me permission to explore. And so for anyone listening to this, give yourself the bloody permission to just try. There's this wonderful TED talk by Ken Robinson. There's one bit that he shares in there. Sadly, he passed away at age of 70 last year. Great creative genius. He said this story. There was a girl, six years old, in drawing class. She's always very um, agitated doesn't pay attention, very distracted. Teacher came over to her one time. She was very um, calm and very concentrated. And she said, hey, what are you drawing? What are you, what are you doing? She goes, oh, I'm drawing. She goes, oh, what are you drawing? I'm drawing a photo. I'm drawing a picture of God. And she, the teacher said, how? That's impossible. No one knows what God looks like. And she said, well, they will in a minute. And so <laughs> the point is, that we need to bring that back, not being afraid to try, not being frightened to, to be wrong. And so for me, just my experience, I believe that my parents gifted me with no sort of framing of, oh, if you're not good at that, you're, you're not great. Yeah. No, I was bad at a lot of stuff. I just tried many things. So my sample size became, huh, I think I really like this because I wasn't good at all the other stuff and I'm okay with that. I'm happy that I tried. And so it became that 
couple things. We need to take charge of that that saying, you know, uh, I, I've often said that a fish would be a terrible tree climber. So I love what that you're good phrase. At. <laughs> know what you're bloody good at. I'm not six foot like you, Dave, right? I could never be, or never say never, but, you know, I'm not built like LeBron James or yeah. Usain Bolt. I, I just, that's, but I was built with infinite curiosity. So what do you have? You've got something. Everyone's got something, something that I would never even be able to understand. And here's the thing. We need to go down and pursue that more. And isn't it funny? We started with competitive advantage. What makes you different? This all links back to that. And for all of you listening, it might be sales. Go all in on that. You know, that's a skill. Probably one of the most important skills to be able to communicate, negotiate. You can apply that to any part of your life. You know, so I'm really glad that people are listening to this. Yeah, I am too. And I think it's a great story you're sharing. I, I think when we're talking about sales, well, let's look at your business. I mean, you've got a successful business. If someone knocks at your door today and they're like, I can prove I'm a great salesperson that can generate whatever, a million pounds worth, a million dollars worth of business in the next three months. I don't want any wages. I just want commission. I don't want to get a good cut. I'm guessing you'd be over the moon to have someone knock at your door like it, right? Because as a business owner, that drives, like if you've got someone who, like we said earlier, is no hassle, no problems, has the skills, knows what to do, is a professional in their field, you can pretty much write your own ticket, right? And you obviously come across extremely well. You know what you're doing out there. But if you've got people now that are ground one, they're, they're, they're listening to this podcast, they've never been here before. They're like, my God, this guy's inspiring me, but he's too far ahead for me. Because a lot of people get that weird thing, right? Oh, they're too far ahead. I've missed the boat. My opportunity's gone. What do you think is one of the key things right now? So if you were going to get started again today, we take all your skills out of the way. We take you back to being, what, 18 years old. And you're going to start again from now. What would be the advice you saw, some of the bits of advice you would give the 18-year-old version of you with no experience? Mate, I've got a few straight off the bat. Number one, willingness to explore. Number two, curiosity to try. Because if you don't have willingness to explore, curiosity to try, no one can help you. Number three, persistence trumps circumstance. I've always said this. Don't dig up seeds as soon as you plant them for crying out loud, right? Number four, people over profit. If the purpose isn't there, then the product doesn't matter. So reflect, go to the places that go, huh, what am I doing this for? And guess what? If you're in a stage where you're just learning, that's a reason. Enjoy the learning. Number five, I would say double down on your strengths. I tapped on this recently, right, a few minutes ago uh, with the, the fish being a terrible tree climber. Number six is choose your hard. There's articulations of this, but I always say that it's hard to live in poverty, but it's also hard to run a million-dollar business and be responsible for 50-plus employees. Mm. It's hard to be obese, but it's also hard to be a world-class athlete. So I need people to really let that sink in because a lot of these pondering thoughts 
and you've heard me say this, Dave, um, and I've posted about this, but dreams can live in two places, in your head or outside of it, but at least outside of it, it has a chance. Yes. And the last thing I'll share, number seven, is around specific lessons will repeat themselves until we learn them. And, and I often look at, you know, boat and sailor analogies, calm waters make poor sailors, which leads me to this thought, like being rich doesn't necessarily mean being wealthy. For me, being wealthy is acquiring internal treasures for external change. <laughs> yeah. You know, wealth accumulation is in overcoming, but the more we overcome every time we overcome we get another coin we get more we get earn more patience we earn more resilience we earn more humility we earn more creativity we earn more courage because it's less about what is the skill there's books for that there's scripts there's there's training to upskill competency level anything that you need to learn there's people that you can reach out to faster than ever before DM people on Instagram, tweet them, get to know them. But what is missing and what will get you there is the question, who do you need to become to get what you want? And who can you speak to that emulates those qualities? This is the fastest way that I've been able to get to where I am. I'm in my mid-30s, you know, to be have been able to buy my first property at 26, 27 by my second at 29, by my third at 32. Now I'm doing multi units. I'm not a property guy. I've just said to you one revenue stream. I've launched many different businesses. I've got 11 different ventures on the go at the moment. And I help people get unstuck, business owners specifically. But the reason why I've been able to do it are the things that I just mentioned. Because if you have at least the first one, the willingness, to explore. And the second one, curiosity to try. Guess what? I know most of you are already thinking, ah, shit, I don't have the willingness. That's why I'm not where I'm at. And I certainly don't have the curiosity. Famous Wayne Gretzky quote, right? You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Just take a shot. Yes. I, th I think it's right. fascinating you say with this as well, because I think, especially in sales, for people that are listening to this, it's very easy to get caught up in our own heads, our own nonsense, the stuff that's going on, the reasons why it could go wrong, and people don't think about what could go right. And I think for a lot of people out there now, just getting out of their own way is one of the biggest things that a lot of people don't do, right? They'll sit on the... If I want to go off and lose 20 kilos for example, but I'm sat on a sofa eating Cheetos going, I need to stop eating. I need to stop eating. Like the best thing to do is just to stop eating, right? Just put the crisp down. Like too many people, they just go, keep going and keep going and keep going. We say it in sales, especially. We, I'll go into companies and we'll talk to people. And we'll be like, oh, well, there's a problem with the leads and then this is an issue and so coronavirus and this circumstance and that circumstance and we say to them all the time well what's the effort that you're putting in and they're like well i'm putting in the effort based on the results i got last month i'm like but the results you got last month were based on the effort you put in 
and we're on this weird little conveyor belt. I do love those tips. I really do. I'll and, add. I'll add this. Quick yeah, go thing, on, Dave. This yeah, on. this is very important, right? What we're t- talking about here, because the I can almost hear maybe you know some of the listeners saying, "So how do I, how do I just put down that that bag of chips, or how do I stop the thing that's become a bad habit, whatever that is?" And so, I often say, number one, don't believe everything you think. Number two, your behavior is a result of the thinking and beliefs that are manifesting into actions. It's the old thinking leads to words, the words lead to action, action leads to uh, your your, uh, habits, your habits turn into your character. So the question is, how do I change my thinking? Well, how about you look at yourself as soil and is my soil fertile enough to grow Mm. i bet already most of you listening are like ah yeah i'm hanging around some pretty toxic people get rid of them replace them with mentors coaches don't follow everyone on social media only follow the people who are actually going to enhance and uplift you and teach you you know, don't hang out in clubhouse rooms or IG lives or listen to podcasts that are just nonsense. Sure, it's nice to be entertained once in a while, of course. But curate people, places, things. These are the things. Because you can't rely on your discipline. You have none. <laughs> very true. <laughs> it is very true. I mean, let me ask you, so who inspires you? Because you, you, you've got a good mindset and a lot of people out there, I know what I'm like. I make sure I listen to a podcast every day. I always contribute to something like clubhouse, but I'll also absorb something new, whether that's picking up a book, whether it's a podcast. So do you have mentors in your life or is there certain books or podcasts that you focus on? Plenty, plenty, plenty. Gosh. Um, who inspires me? Anyone that is, going after their, their dreams. You know, I get inspired by people who are not publicly known at all. I get inspired by people who, who, who write to me, you know, who said that Ram, you, you, the thing is it, it just keeps coming back around, right? You, you inspire others. They say they took action. Then you get inspired. You're like, wow, this is why I do what I do. So I think inspiration comes from anywhere, but the key people that have really been an impact on my life, uh, I have a few notable mentors. Uh, one, a gentleman named Ian Wingrove, and, and I'll tie this back to, and he's not really well known at all in in terms of online space. He's very, um, very hidden in the world of online. But he gave me a chance when I was fifteen to come work at his studio just for work experience, just to take a look when no one no one offered me a chance. And he was designing. Uh, the 2000 Sydney Olympics branding at the time. And I was like, whoa, is this what design is? Is this what people do? And so he gave me a chance. I called like 99 different companies. They're like, why would we take a 15-year-old? We only take interns at university. You're in high school. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm in grade 10 and we have to find a place. They're like, nah, he gave me a chance, this one guy. Um, and guess what as well? I started in the mailroom when I studied design 
after finishing design. I don't know if people, you know, know that, but I, at Ogilvy, I took the mailroom job. I was literally a fly on the wall. People were like, why would you start there? And I'm like, hold on a minute. Why wouldn't I? There's 350 people here. <laughs> at least be in the room, right? People. If you can't be at the table, at least be in the room. I'm in the room. My foot's in the door. While all of you guys are wanting a specific junior design role, now I get people that say to me, Ram, I'm struggling to find a job. I've gotten interviews. I've gotten some offers. I'm like, why don't you take them? Well, it's because, you know, they're, they're saying you've got to start with ordering coffee, answering phones, being a bit of an office admin. And I'm like, uh, what's wrong with that? They're like, well, my parents didn't take me to the top design school and me pay a hundred K just so I could get people coffee. I'm like, you've got it all mixed so up. Short sighted, so, so short sighted. People want to mm. have this almost. I've done, there's almost this weird entitlement, isn't there? Don't you think that, Okay, I've been to college, I've been to uni. I get people now that have done a course and they go, okay, well, if I don't make seven figures um, in the next year, it's not worth it. I'm like, <laughs> really? Like, if you're increasing, I talk about people's um, internal share price. And actually, if you're serving coffee at Ogilvy, right, you're increasing your internal share price. You're increasing your exposure to people. You're getting to hear, if you're paying attention, what people say. You hear people make mistakes. All of these things add to your internal share value. And once your internal share value gets up enough, you're going to get the right opportunities. Right? Yeah. Well, value doesn't just thing. automatically pop up. And here is what you've just pinpointed there, Dave, I think is a major struggle of the world we're in given that data dictates so much of our decision-making. Yes. And so what we are just speaking about now is voluntary discomfort translating to currencies that cannot necessarily be quantified as an ROI. Yes. What I'm saying is plant many seeds become a person that is back to the don't tell me 10 don't tell me you're funny tell me 10 funny jokes in a row don't tell me you're hard working work hard yes don't tell me you're uh open to ideas live with an open mind don't tell me that <coughs> that you can do the job Show me. Yes. And so we need to never have that leave us, no matter what stage we're in. Do you think people are more committed to their excuses than they are to their growth? Oh, that's a good one. I think I, I think a lot of people I talk to now, they are so articulate with their excuses. I know that they've done the repetition on this excuse. Right? They're so articulate with the excuse. I'm like, you've said that to so many people. How long have you been saying this? Well, it's been going on for years. So you've practiced your excuses. How many things have you practiced to come out of it this week? Mate. Like if you've told 10 people the excuse, <laughs> you best have told 100 people your new plan. You better took 100 new steps. But people are practicing these excuses. What do you think? 
I'm going to say this. It's taken me so many years to find out why that happens. And for me, it comes down to this. If you don't have a consequence, and we've spoken about this on Clubhouse, but if you don't have a consequence, then there is no loss. And if there's no loss, there is no movement. There is no need. There's no driver for you. So it's actually two things. People have excuses that they've said so many times that sometimes they, it, they, they, they've, it's a blind spot, but they've said it and they've not attached a consequence to it, number one, and there's not been a accountability partner attached to that either. Because if you really want the dial to move forward, let's say I want to close X amount of sales or I want to get better, whatever measured better looks like, the person that's actually going to get it done is going to put a voluntary measurement or or something that they'll go without or something that they'll gain. So for me, I've been using things like that one cup of coffee that you bloody love. (laughs) I'm not allowed to have that unless I finish the thing that I said. I also have started including, because I love tennis, I'm like, you can't pick up your racket, mate, until until you do these things. And so I use that to effectively hack into my behavior because I want that, but I also am announcing a lot of my goals publicly or the thing that I want. Mm. That's the other thing. No one's going to know if you didn't complete something, if you've just kept it within yourself. And so the excuses are so buried that it becomes your default dialogue. And that's a dangerous place to be because no one's challenging you. It sure is. And no one knows even, you know, what you've said that you wanted to do that's actually getting done or not done. Ram, I could talk to you forever. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, however you identify, if you've enjoyed this today, um, make sure you go out and check out Ram. There'll be links somewhere on this podcast so you can see in more detail how to follow Ram, find Ram. Ram not only does a huge amount of speaking gigs and does all this great stuff on podcasts, he has his own podcast, um, which is fantastic, um, but also is someone who runs, or you're involved with 11 companies, Right. Which if you're out there now and you're listening into this or you're watching this back and you're struggling to get results within your single entity, your single business, you've got a sales team of five guys or five ladies, or it's just you and you're a solopreneur and you can't even fathom having 11 companies. Think about the structure that Ram's talking about here. Thinking about the things he's doing, go and follow him, go and buy the books, go and listen to the podcast. Uh, Ram, thank you for coming on today. Um, have you got anything you want to talk to people about? Anything going on in your life that you'd like to share with people? Where can they find you and all that jazz? Oh, look, you know, the, the main thing is that uh, you got something that you can use today. So hopefully that was um, something available to you. But if you want to continue the conversation, my DMs are always open. And this is what it's about. You're hearing this right now. Some of you are going to just listen and some of you might go actually i might actually send ram a dm he's literally said dm him and so this is the thing reach out to people whether it's me dave sales angel anyone else 
build rapport, build rapport, because we don't know what will happen, you know, after you, you know, that high turns into a conversation, that conversation might turn into advice, that advice might lead to a, a new opportunity. We've got to play the long game. Um, and, and on that note, I'll share one quote that my mentor, Debbie Millman, one of my mentors, Debbie Millman, uh, she owns the longest running podcast for design for coming up to 14, 15 years. And she said, this is always stuck. The longer it takes, the longer it'll last and the mm. more you'll be prepared for the success when it comes. So let go of that, that, that sort of, oh, but such and such has done it quicker. Don't worry about that. It's not serving you. It's not helping you. As they say, comparison is a thief of joy. Just run your own race, do your own thing, you know, start there um, and seek help. Don't do it on your own. You've got a lo- load of mentors and, and, and thought leaders available to you. This podcast, Dave, Dave Sales Angel, reach out to him, you know, reach out to people who have done it. You know, you don't need to do things, especially mistakes that have already been done for you. Uh, so that would be just a few things, but yeah, reach out to me on Instagram, the giant thinker or anywhere online, search my name, Ram Castillo, and let's continue to chat. Happy to redirect you or introduce you to people. Just hit me up. Ram is one of the greatest. Um, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, uh, make sure you give it a share, give it a download, give it a review, all that stuff. Subscribe for more and every other button you can find. Uh, go to the salesangel.com if you want more details with me or get out there and find Ram. Uh, thanks very much for tuning in and we'll see you all uh, on next week's show. Thanks so much, mate. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, like, follow, subscribe, rate and review and join me again on the next edition of the Sales Masters Podcast.